The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsibility responsible gaming resources. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 49, brought to you by the Five Poke at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. As always, joined by quarterback one in my heart. He is Mark Schofield. Mark, we are getting prepped for Senior Bowl week next week. So we have to make sure that our livers are right. We've got our vitamin B. We've got we're all packed up, we're ready to go. Mark, I'm ready. How about you, brother? I'm ready, brother. I it's always a bit of a mixed bag going down to Mobile because you do it and it's fun and it's great and your body doesn't recover for like a week. Yeah. You know, and I'm a man, I'm 43 now. And right. so the trip gets tougher and tougher each year, but it's always a blast. It's always a blast being with you and doing this show, whether it's here or from Mobile. And we're going to get to the historical reference. And it's yeah. one that we didn't do last week. Because remember, dear listeners, gentle listeners, we came on live. We were in hot. We had offensive coordinator candidates to talk about one who's now going to Carolina. May Joe Brady now rest in peace mm. as he goes to the Carolina Panthers. We didn't get to do a historical reference. And believe it or not, it prompted perhaps – my favorite tweet ever hmm. from Kayla Fredrickson, who's a longtime listener to the show, <laughs> who tweeted at us. She's at KFred831 at a restaurant listening to my boyfriend, the Met, that Mark Schofield and Michael Kist didn't talk about the Battle of Canae, which is just an incredible tweet. And so I think we owe it, not just to Kayla, but to her boyfriend, to talk about the Battle of Canae, which is where I was going to go last week. And I don't want to dwell on it too long because I know you've got some stuff to talk about well. But I will quickly just tee things up by touching upon the Battle of Canae in 216 BC and Hannibal's victory over the Romans. And to set the stage for this, we need to quickly outline the Roman approach in this battle. Now, based on what took place in their previous two meetings with the Carthaginian army, Rome entered Canae looking to attack through the middle and then split their Carthaginian forces and then overwhelm them with their superior numbers. And perhaps anticipating this, Hannibal assembled his forces to use this to his advantage. He assembled his men in a crescent shape, bulging forward with the very center forming a blunt point behind which the remaining units ranged outward. Behind the winds of this convex formation lurked two phalanxes of Libyan infantry. These were Hannibal's finest, now sported in Roman arms and armor, captured from the enemy dead. 5,000 strong each, they anchored the whole line. And as the battle waged and raged on, the center of the Punic Crescent fell back before the punishing presence of the advancing Roman forces. But this is what Hannibal wanted. By forcing his line outward to begin with, he had ensured 
that the Roman infantry would be pulled into the Carthaginian forces as they fell back. Hannibal had intended to use the Romans' own momentum against him, and it was working. Read it now from Outnumbered by Cormac O'Brien, which I hold up for the listeners on News Channel 8. Once Hannibal's retreating center rallied and turned on its embattled pursuers, the Roman army, still close to 80,000 strong, found itself hemmed in from nearly every direction. Hannibal may well have hoped for this outcome, but the completeness of his triumph was probably beyond even its wildest dreams. He still had a huge enemy to subdue, and Romans were not in the habit of laying down their weapons in times of moral crisis. Quite to the contrary, in fact, this partially explains what followed, a drawn-out, exhausting horror show of slaughter between two foes who had long since embraced the idea of war without quarter. Despite Hannibal's penchant for taking allied prisoners and treating them well in the interest of breaking their ties with Rome, the fury of Cannae had gone too far to permit restraint. The Libyans and their thrust and phalanxes, the Gaelic and Spanish infantry with the tribal warbands, and Hasdrubal's pounding horsemen all killed their way to the center against legionnaires fighting desperately in a thousand separate melees whose participants were incapable of comprehending the totality of the calamity closing in on them. And I want to close with this from Livia, Roman historian, who wrote about the dead. Some they found lying with their thighs and knees gashed but still alive. These bared their throats and necks and bathed them drain with blood they still had left. Some they discovered were their heads buried, buried in the earth. <laughs> they had evidently suffocated themselves by making holes in the ground and heaping the soil over their faces. Just yeah. absolutely chilling. And it's reminiscent of how I felt watching the New England Patriots crush their season away. I, I had just read through that part in Carthage must be destroyed by Richard yeah. Miles. It's interesting. The reason that there were two consuls there and they switched days and one was more aggressive than the other one was because the temporary dictator, Fabius, also known as the Delayer, he had been uh, embarrassed a couple of years before where they were trying to set this ambush for Hannibal. They have these guys on this hill, this this higher position, whatnot, and, and Hannibal kind of learns of this. And so what he does is he knows he's going to get ambushed. He, he knows it's a trap and so on and so forth. He takes these 2,000 cattle that he had captured and he attaches branding irons to them. And he ushers them up this hill to the Roman fortification where it's at night. And all they hear is 2,000 cattle with these branding irons sounding like infantry. Coming. So they, they, they avoid the ambush that way. Uh, Fabius is embarrassed. And then they go back to you know electing their consuls as they normally would. So that was a nice little tidbit that I didn't know about beforehand before reading that book. So I'm glad you're, you're getting to, I think it's Battle of Cannae, Battle of Cannae, I've heard it pronounced, whatever it is. Read up on it, gentle listeners. Uh, highly recommended here from the QB Sco show. Mark. All right. So the awesome... Battle of Cannae, Cannae, historical reference out of the way. First sub-news that is going to be covered more in depth on BGN Radio coming out tomorrow morning. The Eagles coaching staff has been poached, and we're not mad about it, as defensive backs coach Corey Unlin has taken the defensive coordinator position with the Detroit Lions in a move that nobody saw coming but was heavily celebrated on the timeline. Unlin had a great resume before coming to Philadelphia, but the results when it comes to player development have definitely not lived up to the hype. So we'll see what the Eagles do to replace him. Outside of that, you may have heard on the QB Scotia emergency show last week about the Mike Rowe and Carson Walsh canning that I wanted LSU passing game coordinator Joe Brady in Philadelphia uh, helped redo and rebuild that passing game from the ground up and make one of the best offenses of all time in college football. 
Turns out, as Mark already alluded to, he is headed to the NFL, but not in the manner I was hoping uh, for as the Carolina Panthers have brought him aboard. I think a big determining factor for Brady was not only the money, which is always nice, but also he has been given a chance to pick his staff under Matt Rule, which is something that Philadelphia was likely not able to offer with guys like Deuce Staley and Jeff Stoutland on board. So the search for the Eagles' new offensive coordinator continues. Of course, if we hear anything on our side, we'll have you covered at BleedingGreenNation.com and on this feed as well. So make sure that you've already smashed that subscribe button to get all the content as it drops. Also, follow at BGN underscore radio on Twitter. In other news, me and Benjamin Solak have been at the Shrine Game practices this week. And Ben noticed that former Eagle Connor Barwin was there hanging around with Eagles VP of Player Personnel Andy Weidel, which could suggest that he's going to be taking some sort of role with the Eagles front office. Also during the practices themselves, a quick scouting note from me and me and Ben will likely talk about this later in the week, but I came there with an eye towards Boise state wide receiver, John Hightower, who has an intriguing skill set. And I'll tell you this, everything looked great before the ball got there. He was getting open at will. He had some real juice and explosiveness to his game. Looks to be a threat with the ball in his hands, but at one point he had something like three straight drops. So that's a bit of a turnoff, uh, but still important to see if he rebounds throughout the week and then at the game as well. I know Dane Brugler of The Athletic had him in his top 100 big board coming into this week, so watch out for him in the Shrine game on Saturday because he'll get some opportunities, and if the installs have told me anything, he'll probably get a chance at a reverse, so you'll see how he operates in space. All right, Mark. Uh, any thoughts on the uh, the Brady hiring before we start to talk about some of these uh, these playoff matchups? What, what do you think he can bring to Carolina? And do you think it was the determining factor for him? Like, hey, I can punch my ticket however I like right now. I want to pick my own staff kind of deal. Yeah, I, I probably think so. And what's going to be interesting to see is if you look at LSU's offense, and I'm not an expert. Seth Galina, our mutual friend, could probably do it much better than I'm about to try, but their passing game was basically a lot of West Coast stuff, as you might expect, given his background with the New Orleans Saints, some simplified running concepts in both the zone and the gap and power scheme games. And so it certainly worked. It was almost revolutionary in a sense at LSU. LSU now you're thinking is a destination for quarterbacks. You wouldn't have said that, say, five, three, two years ago, mm -hmm. but now it certainly seems that way with the offense they installed. But how effective is it going to be at the next level? You know, it's one thing when you're seeing new and different stuff and a new approach working in the college game. It might not work in the NFC self, so we'll see how that plays out. But I am curious to see what they now do at the quarterback position, right? Because they have a decision to make. Do they have to decide what they're going to do with Cam Newton? Do they bring him back? Do they not bring him back? Do they draft a quarterback this class? Matt Rule has said you know, he liked Will Greer, obviously coached against him in the Big 12. So you wonder if they're going to try to ride with Will Greer or do they draft somebody in this group? So we'll be curious to see how that plays out. But I do think the determinant factor for Brady was I can write my ticket now. I got my own staff, the people that I want in place around me, the people that I trust, the people that know what we're going to do. We can all pull in the same direction. I'm sure he's overjoyed at the thought of working with a Christian McCaffrey. I mean, you can imagine – you know, picture Alvin Kamara and what he's been in New Orleans, you're truly going to see that, even though Christian McCaffrey put up incredible numbers this year, buy stock in him now, if you can, in sort of fantasy terms, because he should be in a good position to succeed next year in this offense. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and it is interesting to see if the LSU offense will, in fact, translate to the NFL. I mean, there's a there's a ton of slot fades that they were running because Venables is bringing blitzes and they had one on one. Yeah. And you can you can run a ton of slot fade when you have a quarterback that can throw against leverage like Joe Burrow can. 
Burrow obviously going to be the number oh, one can, pick. <laughs> can we talk about Burrow for a minute? He's he's so cool under pressure. His pocket management, his his awareness, his touch. Like uh, people are going to complain about him not having a huge arm, but like there's not a throw that he really can't make, and he makes up for it with accuracy, placement, touch, all of those things. He's incredible. I don't do comps. I hate comps. I'm bad at comps. But if you don't. If you watch that national championship game and don't come away thinking that like he could be an athletic Brady, mm. then we're watching different games. <laughs> I mean, you see the placement, like the and he missed some throws in that game, sure. Yeah. But for the most part, placement is one of his calling cards as a quarterback. You watch his film, you watch him on tape, you see like incredible ball placement. But the pocket movement. Crazy. Whether it's with athleticism and like really sort of extending, or if it's just the little subtle shifting and moving in the pocket, that's incredible. You want to talk about footwork? Watch him run an RPO play where he has to open left and then throw back either to the right or to the left. Mm-hmm. Like to see him flip the feet. Uh, Derek Clawson, uh, who covers quarterbacks, does really good work doing it for Rota World and some other places. He was doing a, a Joe Burrow thread. Uh, I believe it was Tuesday on Twitter and basically said he's always ready to throw. His yeah. feet are always ready to throw. And it's so accurate. He is always in a throwing position, whether he's statuesque in the pocket, opening up on an RPO type design, or even moving around in the pocket where he's got to run for his life. He is always ready to throw. And one final note on him, the swag, mm. the onions, the mm. balls, whatever you want to call it, man. <laughs> like the kid has it. Yeah. And the image and the gif of him with the cigar, with the big dick Joe had in his lap, just giving the little nod to somebody off camera. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just just picturing that, just talking about it. He's like Namath. I mean, he's like Namath and Brady and the composure of it's like Joe Cool of the 21st century. He really is. (laughs) Cincy, don't ruin this kid. Please don't ruin this kid because he could be special. I think. Also, don't trade back with the Panthers. Don't fall for it. Don't no, do it. don't fall for it. And like <laughs> Michael, Michael said this in the DMs yesterday. We have three or four months of Carolina trading up rumors ahead of ourselves. Yeah, and it's going to be miserable, mm-hmm. and it's going to be infuriated. So just know that they're coming and put them out of your mind. Because if you're Cincinnati, you need somebody's next 15 first round picks, <laughs> stadium name and rights, first born, the, the law of surprises, like throw it all into the package because that's what you need to get out of one and give up the rights to draft Joe Burrow. Yeah, so we're going to follow those rumors as they Can't are wait. sure to happen Can't 100% wait. as we go yep. through this draft process. Before we get to more draft talk, I wanted to talk about some of these playoff quarterbacks. And I think I'll frame it this way for you, Mark. So you got Packers, 49ers, you got Titans, Chiefs. So you've got Aaron Rodgers against Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo. You've got, well, I almost said Marcus Mariota, which by the I way, know. how sad was that him going back to the locker room trying to oh, get a hug from Mike Rayburn? Oh, that was awful. <laughs> Soul it's like that. It's like that Simpsons moment. Yeah. When Bart's like showing Lisa the, when Ralph's heart breaks, like, look, if you if you pause it, you can see the exact moment of his heart breaks. It's ah. So Ryan Tannehill against Patrick Mahomes. We'll start with with the NFC. Who's playing the best ball right now between Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy G? Because Aaron Rodgers has had kind of an up and down season. They're installing a new offense. We thought there would be some struggles early on. They seem to have it figured out. I thought Lafleur was absolutely fire against the Seattle Seahawks and his game plan. Rodgers had one of his best games of the season. But Jimmy G has been doing his thing 
all season and, and shutting up all the doubters about him. Yeah. Who do you think is playing the best ball right now? I think Rodgers had the better game last week. I think Garoppolo has had the more consistent season. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that's a fair way to put it. And it was interesting. I was on radio. I'm on radio every Wednesday night out in British, Vancouver, British Columbia. And I was asked sort of a similar question. Are we buying Aaron Rodgers? And while I said it at the time before this game, it feels almost sacrilegious to say it. But no, I wasn't going in. Yeah. Because they had been inconsistent, you know. Whether you want to go as far as to say they're the most fraudulent thirteen and three team in history, I don't want to go that far. But <laughs> you know, Rogers had his up and down moments, but he had, you know, a vintage Aaron Rodgers type performance. Like you said, Matt Lafleur was fantastic. That little fake rub slant to Devontae yeah. Adams, a slant to go. That's just nasty, man. That's just unfair. That, I mean, that was a beautifully crafted play. You know, Rogers had sort of one of his vintage performances. He's going to need another one because look. That 49ers defense, they can get after you. I I wrote a piece for Pro Football Weekly. I don't know if it's up yet, but I broke down all five of their sacks from their previous meeting back in week 12, and they were doing it with four. They were doing it with five. They were doing it with blitzes. They used one of those rain blitzes Mm. where they mugged the A-gaps. And Rogers read it because the rain blitz, for those that don't know, you put both linebackers in the A-gap. And both are tasked with blitzing, but they read the center. And if the center turns to you, you pop out and look for the hot. And if the center turns away from you, that's when you blitz. And so they did that. And the guy that popped out, it, I think it was Warner. It was either Warner or Greenlaw. They got under the hot route from Jimmy Graham. Rogers read it, looked at it. Graham wasn't looking for the ball. Yeah. And he ran out of time. And so, look, Robert Saleh, that defense has an answer for what Rogers has shown so far this season. They will pressure him. They will frustrate him. I don't know if San Francisco – you know, I don't know if San Francisco loses this game, is what I'm trying to say. Because yeah. I think that this defense for the 49ers is playing well. And and to Garoppolo, I mean, tell me if you disagree here. He's being good he's played good enough. Yeah. You know, he's been consistent. He's played good enough with that defense. I, I think they'll be okay and they'll win this one and find their way to Miami. I think I have more trust in the 49ers to number one, scheme it up with Shanahan. You know, you know he's gonna be great. The defense, I think they just have the stronger team. The, the yeah. Packers are going to need, like you said, another fantastic performance. And Rodgers hasn't really strung these together throughout the season. Right. So that's where I have some of my concerns. We'll see when the bright lights come on in, in showtime in the NFC Championship game, which one prevails. But I think I'm putting my money on the 49ers. What yeah. about the uh, the AFC? We've got Ryan Tannehill and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Ryan Tannehill hasn't had to do a whole lot because the defense has put the offense in a position to succeed. The running game has been fantastic when it comes to closing games out. When Tannehill has had to make some throws, though, he's been able to make those throws. And I think he's been very underrated this season. I think people that have been knocking, you know, different metrics that that rate Tannehill highly just haven't seen Tannehill. And that's a product of the Titans not having any primetime games this year. People haven't had a lot of exposure to Tannehill. And he really hasn't had a lot of exposure to Tannehill in the playoffs because he hasn't had to throw much now. If he has to, we'll see what he can do against this Chiefs defense. But I think Patrick Mahomes showed the world that, hey, I'm still Patrick Mahomes, buddy. After going yeah. down 24 to nothing to the Texans and leading a comeback, you know, a, a 51 to 7 run, which is just absolutely insane. The guy played on his head unconscious. What do you think about these two quarterbacks and how they match up? I mean, look, if Ryan Tannehill can beat Brady, Lamar, and Mahomes mm. on the road, like, <laughs> It's it's hard to imagine a tougher murderer's row of quarterbacks and different quarterbacks. Right. You know, and maybe this is more to the Tennessee Titans what they've done defensively, you know, but if they can sort of pull that off, that that would be the stuff of legends. It's hard to imagine though. I mean, as good as Tennessee has been playing, they've now been in the playoffs since Thanksgiving, basically. And so at some point, 
it starts to wear on you a bit. And Mahomes is magical. I mean, you would have thought at 24 nothing that team could have packed it in. It looked like it was going away from them. But you saw Mahomes on the sideline. You saw him staying upbeat. That team can score in a blink of an eye, and they did that against the Texans on Sunday. You know, their defense is playing well, too. And there was a fascinating play. I forget who put it out. It might have been um, Seth Kaiser, who covers the Chiefs for the Athletic. I think it was him. He put out a tweet of Tyron Matthew showing blitz, dropping under the first hot read, getting over to Watson's second read and taking that away, and then chasing him out of bounds, all on the same play. It's incredible. And so this Chiefs defense, despite giving up some points early and part of them were in turnovers and things like that, this Chiefs defense is playing well. We know what the offense can do. They can score points in bunches. And where Baltimore, when Lamar was struggling, that offense couldn't piece it together. Brady and that offense, they couldn't score. Kansas City's going to score. You know, and Tennessee isn't built to win a shootout. Right. Can Tennessee really grind this game enough? Hmm. I don't think so. Not right. this one. What about you? Yeah, I, I'm kind of. I think back to a college uh, game, the Ohio State Wisconsin game, where yeah. Jim Leonard, the defensive coordinator for the Badgers, coached up a beauty in the first half. Wisconsin has a lead, twenty-one to seven. But you go into halftime, and I was thinking to myself, "There's no way." As good as your scheme is. And I think Dean Pease, the defensive coordinator for the Titans, is supremely underrated, not talked about oh, yeah. enough by the national media. I think he's fantastic. But there's going to come a point where Ohio State's going to score. There's going to come a point where Kansas City is going yeah. to score. You can only hold them for so long. So Wisconsin went in 21-7, to and they left the game 34-21 to with Ohio State on top. I feel like this game could have a similar arc. No no, no lead has been safe in these playoffs, right. really, except for maybe the Packers one, and even that was in doubt at the end. But I could see that definitely because there's only so much you can do to slow down Mahomes. There's, right. and, and unless you're converting all the time, unless your running game is absolutely bumping and you win the time of possession battle like 45 to 15, it still might not be enough. That's right. how explosive Kansas City is. Yeah, and you know we saw this last year that regular season game and even the the playoff game between the Patriots and the Chiefs. Those teams were scored like twenty eight points combined in like five minutes at the end of both of those games. <laughs> Just like stuff happened in the blink of an eye. Like I remember in the regular season game, the Patriots took the lead, and then the very next play, eighty yards touchdown, and mm. it's like they can score from anywhere on the field. The other thing I'll point out: what did Bill O'Brien say this week? They felt like they needed to get thirty five to win. Right, yeah. Now, it begs the question why you're kicking field goals early when he did. <laughs> but putting that aside for a second, is Tennessee built to put up 35? Uh, no, not at all. I don't think they are. Yeah. And if O'Brien's right about that, which I think he is, mm. it makes it hard to see Tennessee winning this one. That's a good point. Yeah, I got Kansas City in this one, but it would be crazy to see Ryan Tannehill take down two top tier or three top tier quarterbacks yeah. now in the NFL. Wow. Imagine Great. this. Yeah. You get a Titans Packers Super Bowl that it Tannehill goes <laughs> Brady, Lamar, Mahomes, Rogers. Like, like, like that's the ultimate like bad guy level, right? Yeah. That's like that's, we see like all the way through the boss man. It's David and Goliath, just the, the giant just over slayer. and over and over again. Brian Tannehill. All right. So when we come back, we are going to talk about some of these senior bowl quarterbacks that we'll be watching live in Mobile next week. That's coming up next here on the QB Scope Show. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. 
It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And we are back here on the QB Sco Show, episode 49, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, Michael Kist, here with Mark Schofield. And Mark, look, uh, the Senior Bowl quarterbacks that we have to talk about here, it's it's it can be Eagles-related, too, because I'll tell you what, uh, they have to make a decision on Nate Sudfeld. Is Josh McCown going to be back, or he's, is he going to be a coaching role? Is he going to retire, go to the media, whatever he's going to do? A backup quarterback position, very important for the Eagles. They tried to take a swing on a Senior Bowl quarterback last year that both of us hated, Clayton Thorson. Oh, yeah. Uh, we had uh, a, a lot of other choices we would have liked ahead of him. So Gardner maybe – Minshew? Got, yeah, Gardner Minshew, yeah. for example, was a guy that we pounded the table for. They Again, we see that he was a heck of a lot better than – if. He, he slayed Nick Foles. So yeah. what else do you want? Uh, so let's take a look at these Senior Bowl quarterbacks and kind of what the league is going to be looking for them. Uh, obviously, the big name right now is Justin Herbert out of Oregon. Jalen Hurts has had an interesting uh, college career, but I'm not sold on him as as a pro quarter, quarterback. Uh, one guy that, that we don't like, but we're hearing that a certain team wants him invited, and that's why he's there, is Shea Patterson from Michigan. Eagles, stay away. I think that's Definitely my Clayton hit. Thorson <laughs> yeah. for this year. Uh, but a lot of different names. First off, what are these coaching staffs looking from quarterbacks at the Senior Bowl? Because it's said that you cannot hurt yourself during the week. You can only help yourself. Is that true? Yeah, I think that's in large part true. I mean, part of what we'll be able to see is stuff they're looking for. They want to see them get better over the week. They want to see them adapt to sort of coaching. They want to see them, you know, learn some of the concepts so that will be new for a lot of these guys. Take, for example, Anthony Gordon mm. from Washington State, who, by the way, I absolutely love because he's in part insane. Yeah. And I said this on Twitter, Justice Muscata, our good friend Justo, put out a tweet a while ago, and I've thought about it a lot. You know, we're seeing guys like Mahomes and Watson and others in the league right now that grew up idolizing Favre. And we're going to be blessed with some great and fun quarterback play as a result. The guys that grew up idolized in Montana, like Brady and others and Rivers, they're phasing out of the league. And, you know, the boring, safe, ball control type stuff. Now we're getting kids that want to be Mahomes. And there's a great play that I put on the timeline of Anthony Gordon <laughs> trying to throw a wide open cross around in the middle of the field with nobody to look off. And he tries to no look it and misses by like 10 feet. Right. And it's funny. It's hilarious. But he does this. He, When you watch him, you will come away thinking this kid wants to be Mahomes. And sometimes it works. And so he's a lot of fun, but he's never taken a snap from under center. You know, and he's working with Sage Rosenfelds right now on doing things like that. So they're going to want to see these guys sort of adapt to more of an NFL style of play. You know, they're going to want to see, can they make some reads when the defenses are going to be showing them different looks than they saw in college? You know, a lot of these guys, you know, they're seeing, you know, it's cover two, cover three, some match stuff, some cover seven, bracket and cut and things like that. But they're not spinning it. They're really showing you what it is and they stay in it. Now you're going to see rotated coverages. You're going to see spun safeties. It's going to be new. How quickly can they pick stuff like like, like that up? How quickly can they sort of 
speed up their process and speed as a result. The two guys that I think people will be the most excited to see, Justin Herbert, Jordan Love. Yep. I mean, these are guys that have absolute cannons for an arm. I mean, Herbert's throwing back shoulder throws 40, 50 yards downfield. I mean, Love's got an absolute hose as well. Jalen Hurts is interesting. Um, a lot of people want to say, oh, he's the next Lamar. He's not. Like they have completely different styles of play. They're completely different runners. They're completely different passers and throwers. I think Lamar was a much more advanced pocket passer than Jalen Hurts is right now. But Hurts throws a nice deep ball. Um, he can do some things that I think are nice. And he's a, certainly a developmental style quarterback. Then, you know, I like Anthony Gordon a lot. And so those four guys I'm really excited to see. Then you get Shea Patterson. He's a quarterback. Mm. And then you get Steven Montez from Colorado. And, you know, he's an interesting prospect as well. Very much a day three developmental type. That's the six right now. We're in a bit of a holding pattern, although I think this is going to crystallize over the next 24 hours. It does seem like Burrow's not going to go. Right. You know that Jim Nagy wants him there. You know the Bengals want him there. You know, but he was telling uh, part of my t- part of my take while he was hung over. Of course, why right. wouldn't he be? That you know he tore a cartilage muscle or tore some rib cartilage um, late in the first half of that game against Clemson. I doubt he's going to go. Right. You know, he's probably just going back to California because let's face it, the kids want one. He doesn't have to do anything right (laughs) now. And so you wonder if do they sit with six? Do they go to eight? Mm. Some names, if they do decide to go to eight and Joe Burrow isn't one of them, I'd say Brian Lewerke um, from Michigan State might be a name to get in the mix. Nate Stanley, who Mm. I have a bit of a soft spot for. I think the kid can slid it a bit. You know, I know he would be in the mix as well. Is our boy Cole? Has he graduated? Oh, that's a, that's a good point because he did declare, and even if he you're declared an underclassman, as long as you've graduated, you can go to the Senior Bowl. If yeah. if that's the case, and you don't get Burrow, I would love to see yeah. Cole McDonald there. Because what's he's, been funny, Matt? I mean, Matt, why don't I just call you Matt? Because you did know. about a two hour podcast with Matt Waldman. Just this is exactly ago. right. That's exactly right. <laughs> I did just do a two hour podcast with Matt Waldman. You know what's funny, Mike? It's come full circle with Cole a bit. Yeah. Because remember the summer, mm. our, our, our mutual friend, Bryce Rossler, he was one of many on the train. We were there both there as well, right behind Bryce. I'm not throwing Bryce completely under the bus because I'm throwing myself and you under there with yep. him. But yep. we liked Cole. And then people got off the train because he struggled a bit. People are circling back on Cole McDonald. I've seen more and more takes on the timeline in the past couple of days. Like, this Cole McDonald guy is pretty good. I've had some Bears fans... In the DMs, we know what Bears fans are right now, emotionally speaking and mentally speaking. They're, they've had a bit of a fall in a winter, but they're asking me about Cole McDonald. And so there's a chance this kid could go to Mobile if he gets invited and sneak his way into early day three. He he really kind of saved his season because, I mean, he ends up with 33 touchdowns, 14 yeah. interceptions, and he had thrown, what, let's see, there's five, eight, nine. Like tu- 50. He threw nine interceptions in the first four games. Yeah. And then after that, he only had five more throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, he got better as the season wore on. But that start, that nine-game start, that's what everybody – it was like rats flee in the ship. It was like, nope, yeah. not going to work, man. First game was four and four. Like, yeah. just so – Remember that like- game? <laughs> Oh, people what were a roller like, coaster. Yeah, it was an absolute roller coaster. It was like, man, this guy is great. Oh my god, he just threw a pick. Oh, he's fantastic. Oh, he just threw another pick. It was like, 
all over the place. And that's what I, I saw some takes on the timeline. Well, maybe we shouldn't have anointed him as the next best quarterback. It's like nobody did that except for Bryce. Right, exactly. Right. Except yeah. for Bryce. But yeah, he ended yeah. the season with, well, in the last three games, he had seven touchdowns, one interception. He ends the season with a 63.8 completion percentage. He really kind of turned things around towards the end of the season there. And then he's he's got his uh, his boy uh, Rolo is coming to, oh, to Washington State to replace Washington. Mike Leach. So yeah. that, that's 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 gonna be uh, that's gonna be real fun. Plus, Mike Leach in the SEC it doesn't do get much better than th- that. Do you think there's a chance Cole graduate transfers to Ooh, Wazoo? That would could be he do that? Can he now that he's already declared? Can he rescind it? Like, is there? A I, step- I think it's one of those things. Like, as long as you don't hire an agent, you can right. still. Mm. So I wonder if they would if they've entertained that idea at all. Hmm. I, I, I really wonder what the draft advisory board told Cole about his draft grade to make him come out. And if it's strong enough to where he would be like, mm, maybe I should go back. Maybe I get a call from Rolo and we start. We go over to uh, I mean, Washington one State. year in the Pac-12 playing against better competition, playing, I don't know, in a manageable time zone for us on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah. More exposure. It could, it, yeah, more exposure. It could help him. I mean, now that – look, we, we know Trevor Lawrence is going to be one – you know, or at least potentially QB one next year, Justin Fields perhaps. But you know, two is coming out. Like, yeah, you could probably benefit from a year. I don't know, it's something to think about. Yeah, I still want to see him in Mobile though. If I see him in Mobile, that's the first person I'm talking to. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> asking him about the sniper photo. Or oh, you know what? I also got to talk to the kid there. I think there's a linebacker there. His name is Hamilcar, which is oh, yeah Hannibal's dad. He doesn't yeah. know. I read the story on it. He says he doesn't know where the name comes from. Apparently, it's like a family name that they use a bunch. I'm like, dude, what? let me talk to this cat. Because get like, write a book for the kid, right? Exactly. Yeah. But you know how he pronounces it Hamilka, which is a choice, which is interesting. But we're going to talk about that in Mobile. Yeah, we'll talk about that in Mobile. <laughs> so, Mark, any closing thoughts for the gentle listeners before we get out of here? No, just um, follow along the hijinks. Um, both Michael and I will be down in Mobile. It's always a blast. We'll have takes from the timeline. We'll hopefully do a show. Mm-hmm. From Mobile. If not, well, you'll probably figure out why we did it. And we'll just throw that out there. Um, but it's 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 a blast. It's always great to catch up with people from the timeline. It's always great to have your timeline play out in real life at Feats and elsewhere. And so it's it's a fun time, but it's a business trip. We will be doing work down there. We will have some takes for you at some point here on the QB Sco Show and everywhere else you can see Mike and I yap about this lovely, lovely sport. So that's gonna do it for the QB Sco Show episode 49. I hope you had a good time. We'll catch you next week in Mobile. Thank you.